we'll recap where we left off last time. And for the folks that haven't seen that episode, I'd highly encourage that you go back and watch that. And each of these categories that we um, illustrated to understand the entirety of the cause of all disease, these are very understandable um, concepts, and not just concepts, but backed with the fact that these concepts also reveal the cure and at once what we need to do in order to get rid of symptoms. And of course, it's not to try to beat a disease or kill a germ, uh, which of course, neither one of those exist as relative to pathogens or as a disease, uh, having a notion that that's a separate entity that exists independently in nature. It's mythology, pure mythology. So uh, the cause of all disease part two, and I wasn't planning on this. You know, we did have a uh, a guest and we had some scheduling change. So uh, like the last one, I did, kind of did this on the fly. So I did these slides as a just a way to keep our discussion on topic so we can just sort of loosely follow them and see how far we get here. And let's go to slide one, if we may. So disease, uh, we have a dichotomy. Really, disease is a mutation of normal processes. And it's a mutation that is born of ignorance and by our own doing. And, of course, that's where the empowerment comes in when we find out how symptoms are largely self-created except for one particular category – then it gives us everything in the world to change what we don't want. And also that other category that is from external circumstances, we can also deal with that one. So we very um, boldly stated that the cause of all disease can be attributed to issues or imbalances in any one of these categories. Uh, number one is deficiencies. We're not going to go through them all. Uh, again, go back and watch that. And we're going to be developing each of these categories uh, with great elaboration in future podcasts and also in the back end of our member site. So this was just to get us started here. Uh, the biome, the biome not being germs uh, as they're conventionally thought of, but the biome meaning our ecobionts, which are microorganisms that live inside of us. Life uh, in our biological apparatus would not be possible without these organisms. And these organisms are lying in wait for a job to do. And depending whether they have to clean up some uh, compromised uh, toxic areas of our internal ecology or gobble up uh, as a scavenger old uh, tissue, uh, you know, cells turn over every single moment. And those cells need to be broken down and discarded. They do that uh, in conjunction with cell debris. Um, cell debris, which is something I measured that I talk about all the time with every single patient. And when the cell debris reached a certain level, then that would indicate that cells are being broken down, prematurely aging or dying um, in uh, 
disproportionately. And the, those fragments of cells that I would visualize would then uh, have genetic material and other informational um, messaging associated with them. And as they entered the bloodstream, they were picked up by the different organs, including the salivary glands in our mouth, and you know, which would then tag our uh, everything that goes in our mouth that we eat uh, so that nutrients would go to targeted areas to um, rebuild and rejuvenate so that it wasn't just a haphazard way of uh, hoping that the nutrition gets to the right spot. Our body is pretty cleverly designed. And also it would, uh, that cell debris would trigger certain cells to make surfactants that would then cleanse up the bioterrain from buildup of uh, toxic elements and so forth. And uh, it would also trigger uh, the cellular manufacture of exosomes and endosomes, uh, and some of their function would be to stimulate the manufacture of new stem cells for regeneration. So pretty clever system. And these cell debris, because of their size and because of their tendency to work with live cells in an informational level to stimulate the uh, you know manufacture for the needs of the body, uh, these uh, could be confused with viral theory. Uh, but unfortunately, the viral theory uh, has built in it uh, the the notion of pathogenesis, which means they are maliciously taking over cells uh, to do bad things to us. And uh, of course, we've uh, gone quite a length to really dispel the notion of viral pathogens. Uh, cell debris is a very important thing to understand as an active part in the biome. Now, the six stages of disease will help us appreciate how when we get external contamination and buildup of accumulations in the body, uh, the more that progresses, then depending on the uh, the stage of progression and the tissue involved, that will explain every single symptom possible that then the medical profession calls a disease and then tries to do something stupid to combat the disease, whereas all they have to do is understand that uh, sixth stage of progression and retro in a retrograde fashion reverse the whole process that started creating the diseases in the first place, so-called. Uh, the next one there, the line of resistance, is uh, we are able to do laboratory testing and see what the ground current in the body is because, first and foremost, we're electrical. And what we think of as chemistry in the body is literal conduits for this currency flow and the matrix, the connective tissue matrix, is that medium that the current flows through. And with our testing, we can uh, understand the line of resistance. In other words, is there a proportionate, correct proportion of conductance elements that create the amount of energy uh, in conjunction with the flow or the resistance uh, factor that will either impede, uh, slow down, or accelerate energy flow. You want it just right because in either extreme, it's going to create issues. So with this line of resistance, we can at one glance understand why every symptom in the body works uh, or happens 
if that currency flow is distorted in some way, it will even tell us what quadrant of the energetic body issues are going to come up with uh, or, or appear anatomically speaking. And it also conforms to our understanding of waveform mechanics when you understand every electrical system as a toroidal field. These are all things that we need to greatly elaborate on. We've done a lot of more cursory uh, touching on these concepts because they're new to most people. And, uh, you know, if we don't take them step by step and then follow with elaboration like we uh, continue to do, then it's really hard to wrap your mind around and then you're vulnerable to falling back into just lazy uh excuses for why things happen, which is, oh, shit happens, or it just happened to me, or I caught a germ, and so forth. And then, of course, uh, that laziness, of course, carries over to every other part of our life and impedes the real reason why we're here in the first place, which is the rapid expansion of consciousness in the journey of the soul. And that's what we're going to get into more today. If you take these six categories... They're fantastic in that they do explain the presence or the etiology of all symptoms. But in order to understand how this can become a pragmatic discipline within medicine, then we have to understand real science and how things work because we've been brought into a superstition of materialism where everything is fragmented, uh, uh, random, and disconnected. So let's go to the next phase and or the next slide and get into that, Mike. And Michael, of course, welcome your comments along the way or any questions that come up from the live chat. Yeah, you're crushing. Keep going. So the cult of materialistic determinism. And of course, uh, in a presentation like this, I have to just pretty much do a surface glance, but everything here is really right on and it can be expanded in a way to give more concrete reasons for these four simple steps that I have in each category. So if you contrast alchemy, which is nothing more than authentic science that existed for centuries uh, by people who had the number one goal of healing the human body, that's where they came from, which is much different than our medical profession today, which is prefaced on creating business. So uh, right there might give you a little bit of a clue as far as which of these two camps you might place your trust in. And alchemy is simply the observation of cyclic patterning. And, you know, this is nothing new these days. We have an abundance of material out there, research, and people talking about the fact that we live in a fractal universe, a holographic universe. That means that there is one particular mechanism that repeats all the way through the different levels of creation. And that's what alchemy was about. It was about recognizing these patterns because when you do, then you could assume your rightful co-creator role within these patterns and work with them, uh, use them to your benefit, and even expedite uh, 
the unfolding of these patterns in a way uh, in order to achieve certain goals on both physical and spiritual levels. So in alchemy, uh, cause is directed consciousness. It's electricity. And when I say directed consciousness because electricity can only come from one source, and that is a conscious intelligence having an idea, a concept, an intention uh, behind that idea, that creates an electrical event. We talk about this often, but it's real important to bring this up within this medical context now because it really explains how the biotrain works. And after cause, we have continuity, which is holographic repetition through the etheric medium. So even though there's a different appearance as far as the similar phenomena occurring in different levels of reality, it is nothing more than the same waveforms, the same idea in an electrical form that is appearing in an appropriate phase for that particular medium. Medium, for instance, in the we'll see in a second here in the etheric uh, planes of the human anatomy, we have the mental, the astral, the etheric, and the physical levels, which mirror the larger uh, strata of the ether of the larger creative realm. So we'll see that in a moment. And now the mechanism that nature works through is transmutation. In other words, form is transient, and form is always changing in a cyclic fashion to meet the demands of what original idea is intending to create in the first place. And also, in the case of biology, it is uh, a transmutational process that allows microbes, uh, inorganic elements, everything we think about as far as uh, being a component of the biological realm, it is actually allowing one form to take another form to meet the demands of a constantly changing environment. Uh, going back to a microbial uh, example, if, for instance, uh, the body needs to clean up some issue that's affecting the skin that somebody would call a staphylococcus infection, uh, that's uh, really the seed organism that already lives inside of us that has the option of transmutating or mutating through 16 possible stages of development. These are things I've seen for years with my own eyes under the microscope, so it's not conjecture. And in that transmutable or, or that transformational process, uh, uh, three of those 16 stages uh, pertain to the bacterial stage, one of those bacterial stages is Staphylococcus, the caucus form, the little round uh, bacterial forms. And in that phase, they are very efficient at gobbling up uh, debris maybe that got, uh, you know, trapped in the dermal levels, maybe from a surfing accident, you know, and getting coral embedded in there or um, any other particular thing. And they will also uh, gobble up all the diseased tissue around there so that other worker bees can start regenerating brand new tissue. Uh, same thing with the elements as Walter Russell and waveform mechanics described. 
and, and really demonstrated is that every element on the elemental chart that we learn in high school chemistry uh, is also transient, you know, beginning with hydrogen, going through all the different uh, octaves and tonal fields within each octave. That hydrogen will do a loop with time and become every other element and then come back full circle, become hydrogen again. So that's a simplistic explanation, but that's kind of the way nature works. Nothing is fixed. And if you understand that, and if you have, for instance, an individual that is presenting with symptoms or a diagnosis, we can use that understanding to um, promote uh, proper organism populations. It will help uh, deal with that, uh, help uh, supply different elements that are go then going to uh, allow the cells to have the proper resonance to heal or renew any part of the body. And uh, let's go to the next one, the purpose of the whole alchemical understanding a nature's purpose, that is, is self-determination. That is, if you get to the kingdom of man, which we're going to talk about in our last slide, we are endowed with the ability to become individualized through this alchemical process that we call life and become self-determined co-creators. Now, the opposite of self-determination is thinking that you're going to die because some freaking little bug uh, you know, just jumped on you after you touched a doorknob or something. And, um, and, and then, of course, it goes into all the other topics we cover on this channel, which has to do with lawfare and finances and everything else. So at every uh, possibility, this concept of self-determination is stymied. And, of course, in the beginning of our country, what got us off on the great experiment of self-determination is uh, the founding folks decided to uh, formalize that uh, self-determination with a declaration. And that's what we're all doing here these days. We are declaring our independence from all this bullshit starting with the medical mythology. Let's just take a quick look at scientists and then we'll move on. Uh, scientism, as opposed to simply observing uh, nature's cyclic patterning, it's comprised of conjectured rationales. Cause, uh, rather than being directed intelligence, is random accidentalism. As far as continuity that well, we understand... Too, cause for them ahead. is just the cause of the effect must be just some sort of moving object. That's how reduction is. That's how simplistic and stupid uh, scientism is. It's not even taking any yeah. sort of uh, expanded concept of cause. It, it can only be like a rolling ball going down a ramp to hit something. I mean, it's so. And since we really don't know the creative mechanisms in the first place, then we just say, well, shit happens, the Big Bang, all that. And now that materialism just randomly happens out of thin air, even though we don't even believe in a concept of ether, which would allow us to understand how creative waveforms have a medium to travel through and coalesce with other waveforms to create composites that we call our realm. Uh, you know, we just have all these random material BBs that somehow have energy in them. So we have to dig these up from our realm in order to 
you know, create explosions that create a temporary um, isolated instance of energy. And then we have to keep gobbling up ourselves, our food supplies, our resources and everything, uh, you know, which uh, puts us in kind of the termite category, actually, rather than self-determined co-creators. And then the purpose, of course, we know opposite of self-determination is social engineering. That's, that's all this is about. And you, to understand that, you have to understand the who and the why. And if anybody uh, has any doubts about this, just look at what's going on in Davos in this exact moment right now where they're just literally telling us how it's going to be in order to live carbon-free, uh, which is interesting because carbon is the capacitor or grounding rod for our whole etheric structure that creates uh, the consciousness creates physicality through in the first place and without carbon there's nothing to ground it in we wouldn't be here nothing would be here so anyway kind of stupid stuff but uh, like the old circus folks said there's one born every moment and uh, but you know their audience is getting Fewer and fewer. We're winning. Okay, next slide. The fewer, the fewer, the fewer. Um, yes, sir. And it, yeah, and um, I was going to say when you're talking about Staphylococcus, uh, Pamela brought up pleomorphism in the chat. And yes, that's a great example of biological transmutation, right? There is the pleomorphic cycle of those microbes. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I look a little bit different right now than I used to when I was a teenager. So even the human lifespan is typified by going through different phases. The only thing I would quickly add to that is it doesn't have to be a um, a dissolution kind of affair where your body just dissolves into crepidation, old age, and death. So we would naturally go through different phases which correlate with our gathering of wisdom along the journey, but it doesn't have to be accompanied by illness and uh, and decay. So here we are from elements to principles. What I'm going to do here, Mike, um, and, and I know you haven't seen this either yet, I'm going to take like we did a little bit last time, I think the first slide I did last time was this chart that was more expanded, but had some of this in it. And I'm going to break down that chart a little bit to hopefully illustrate uh, the continuity of holographic repicturing as far as how things begin from consciousness and translate down to our ultimate biology at the most minute levels. So if we can just borrow from the old alchemical terminologies, the first column is elements, and they thought of them as three elements, fire, air, water, earth. We don't have to go through all that. Now, that corresponds with the levels of the ether. Now, the ether, you can actually understand more from a Western mindset. So that's what I like about doing it this way is we don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater because there were some things that we've, you know, that I learned in in school and in my studies that 
uh, went beyond just terminology, but help me understand not just the mindset of uh, conventional chemistry, but also there's there's kind of a place for it, and it can also be explained more elegantly within the context of waveform mechanics, but it allows us to have a conversation, uh, you know, from a mindset of conventional contemporized chemistry. So the fire element would be hydrogen, and of course that uh, is the spark for that initial electrical spark that comes from what we already described as pure consciousness. And then that hits the next level of ether, what they call air, and that would be nitrogen. And nitrogen has a coagulation effect. And in the ethers, that original idea actually starts the first stage of precipitation uh, or densification uh, as it's exposed to the air or nitrogen element. We see that working in nature all the time. I always use the example here on the farm. I see the leaves starting to fall in the autumn, and that's because the cold air uh, creates uh, a greater abundance of nitrogen in the atmosphere, which creates a coagulation within the sap of plants and trees. And then that um, impedes the flow, just like the flow of blood to a limb. It impedes the um, life-giving resources to the limbs of the tree and the leaves, and the leaves just uh, shrivel up, turn colors, and die. So nitrogen, if you understand these levels of ether, it's happening all around us. And the big thing I'd really like to facilitate today is to take alchemy out of the mystical realm because alchemy is something that we are doing every single moment. Uh, if somebody fixed themselves a cup of tea this morning, they're actually doing laboratory alchemical practices. And, you know, those all have names in a fancier alchemical lab. Uh, every single day when we get up and have another life experience, we are taking the soul further down the road in through the transmutational process of life and which uh, we'll get into what that means from an alchemical perspective. Now, when those that first stage of coagulation happens, and then it enters the next level of ether, which is a water element, we have a further densification. That's correlated with oxygen. And then water becomes uh, the first fixed medium uh, relative in our physical realm, and that becomes a transmitting utility for the informational fields that originally came from the very top down from the fire hydrogen pure consciousness level. And those informational fields are then transmitted down into the grounding structure of our realm, uh, the earth, and that has to do with the carbon element. Now, if we go uh, to the right of the ether column and we go into function. Well, the function of the fire element is electricity. The air element is coagulation. The water element, which is, uh, you know, again, this is simplified because it's kind of mixed up in the different uh, strata. But for the sake of talking, water is a further uh, process of fermentation. After coagulation, and this brings in an understanding that I could talk to a chemist about as far as 
the manufacture of uh, ammonia compounds uh, within that coagulation or fermentation process. And that is a very uh, important component in the final precipitation of what our senses pick up as far as form and function within the earth realm. And now these four elements, ethers, and functions, which hopefully we can just see a continuity of what each element, uh, what its purpose is, uh, those then are coalesced into three principles that the alchemist spoke of uh, with great import, and that is sulfur, which is the individualization of consciousness, uh, what we could call the soul. Uh, the plant kingdom has... Uh, this sulfur or individualization in over soul experiences. For instance, a plant of a certain species, say Shizandra berry, is uh, all the berries, all the bushes of that particular um, family are uh, an over soul, uh, which just means a group soul. But in the kingdom of man, we have the ability to be individualized consciousness each and every one of us and not just a member of a larger oversoul now mercury is what in other uh cultures we call prana chi and so forth and to an alchemist mercury is that anonymous energy of the godhead of the creator that is waiting to be individualized by consciousness and then, of course, the mercury, which animates the sulfur, while sulfur defines the mercury, then that is embodied in the grounding medium of the earth, the carbon, and that we loosely call the body or the salt. And sulfur, mercury, salt are be, to be understood in this particular instance as more allegorical terminologies rather than what we would think of as far as sulfur, mercury, and salt in a chemical sense. So it's how the, are we doing, uh, Mike? Holy Trinity, the body, mind, and spirit, or the soul, spirit, and body, uh, being the salt of the earth, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Um, this principle, the triune self, is... Um, historically uh, ingrained and intertwined in every great tradition. And we, we've all heard of all of these things independently, but unfortunately, institutionalized science, religion, and so forth has made it their job so that we do not connect the dots and see how it all works as a whole under our very own direction. So uh, this chart is to illustrate how from the elements we go to principles, which are the first um, big over the hump, uh, hump step to create our experience and our very bodies. <clears throat> and and this, again, this... if you don't understand this flow, then it's going to be um, <clears throat> constantly bringing up questions as far as our original premise and that is that uh disease and microbes don't cause disease there's other causes for it here are the mechanisms that cause what we think of as disease but it's all predicated on understanding how nature works so let's go beyond principles now
Well, I was going to just say this quote you have here is really good, too, from Paracelsus. As nature is extremely subtle and penetrating in her manifestations, she cannot be used without the art. Indeed, she does not produce anything that is perfect in itself, but man must make it perfect. And this perfecting is called alchemy, Paracelsus, the great work. Uh, and this is a core fundamental in, once again, all these wonderful traditions from uh, the Masons to, uh, uh, you know, Gnosticism to uh, the, a lot of Eastern traditions, this idea that um, we live in this on a plane and a reality that uh, is derived from consciousness and that nature is just the mechanism in which it works. Uh, it is not, uh, it requires the um, interplay between our consciousness for the whole dang thing to work. We can't just go jump into a tinfoil ball or a tube and fly out of here into the vacuum of space and go live on another rock somewhere because literally this place is the divine realm that is we co-create. Uh, and it's just that's the really important subjective um, qualitative aspect of the true sciences right there. Yeah, and in... To further demystify alchemy, you know, uh, in alchemical circles, we're always talking about the great work. And a lot of times it suggests that you need to go out and get a lab and, you know, start doing all sorts of crazy shit in there. But it really, you're doing the great work as soon as you become conscious of the fact that you have a purpose to your embodiment. Um. And before we become conscious of what that purpose is, then we're basically a barnacle on the larger ship and we're really not doing ourselves or the ship any good. Uh, to borrow from medical terminology, I would call that level of unconsciousness as a space-occupying lesion. <laughs> yeah, the great work is just about being the way and understanding that once you are the actor in in the active sense and not the just um, sort of victim in the sea of chaos, uh, it's a just a nice it's just a shift as you said of consciousness and then all of a sudden everything starts to unfold where you start participating and taking action in your life and realizing that the best way to do that is of service and uh, all those good things we talk about uh, being the way of the way. And then uh, it's quite effortless to do it. Okay, next slide. So now we're go from the etheric planes to physiology. So we're going to get further down the creative path here. And if you recall, we had the levels of ether, which started with the alchemical elements. But now we're going to translate that into the etheric medium of the human body. Because just like um, everything that I'm staring at outside my window here had to go through those four precipitating stages uh, toward materialism, the same thing in our body and our body uh, to hold true to that as above, so below sort of idea. Uh, and the fact that... <clears throat> It is a continuous process uh, that we are not separate from. Uh, we have our own representation holographically of the larger ether. 
And it starts with the mental plane, which is where as individualized members of humanity, we have the capacity for idea. And if that idea then is held in a focused fashion and meets the next level of coagulation, which we talked about as far as the air and nitrogen element, well, now we're talking about the astral element, and that is going to have a lot to do with how we feel and our passion, our intent, and our emotions are then going to add the intensity to those informational fields from the mental plane, which will then um, start the materialization, materialization process, but without the right or intensity of passion or emotion, it's going to stay a mental concept. Or if we have a toxic lower astral emotion associated with it, it's going to create stuff like disease. So, um, or the notion of limitation or some such thing. Now, as that inf uh, intensified information reaches the vital level, which we correspond to the water or the oxygen level, that transmitting utility uh, toward final physicality, uh, then it's going to create an etheric imprint, which will then be used by the cells of the body as they receive those um, creative 12 creative resonant fields from the constellations above by way of the capacitors in the ground we call the inorganic cell salts. And through those 12 informational fields, they will then create all the tissues of the body as well as uh, the distributing the resources of the body to exactly where they're needed uh, for a constant state of renewal of form and function. So if we look at the etheric medium, no different than we did a moment ago with the larger ethers, this is how it's individualized on the human level. And also, just to illustrate some of these two, how that would look in a practice, well, there are many techniques that allow us, ones that I've used for years, that allow me to not just test on these different planes of existence, but they each have subplanes, and uh, then correlate that with different levels of not just etheric function, but also with real physiology, so that it allows me to prioritize as a practitioner where on that energy matter continuum, my efforts would best be focused in order to bring order back to the larger bioterrain. Now, if we move to the right of that etheric column, we look at the process. Uh, the process of the mental plane is imagining. And coincidentally, or um, curiously, I should say, the first thing we learn as children is, uh, well, you don't want to just sit around imagining things because it's not real. You got to get focused on what's real, which is all the material stuff that your senses are reporting to you right now. And of course, that stymies our progress from step one when we lose that, that real 
focused ability to imagine in detail accompanied by the understanding that imagining is a real electrical event with consequences. And the processes of the astral are more getting into that emotion or the, uh, you know, uh, intensifying the movement of energy that come down from the original informational fields. The uh, uh, process with the vital is to create that uh, literal electrical imprint uh, a blueprint that becomes the form for the physical body that the cells then complete. And now just like these four um, processes and etheric levels, as we saw before, were then uh, used by the alchemists to understand the three principles that then translate into all creation. When it comes to the, uh, physiology of the physical body instead of uh, calling it sulfur, mercury, and salt, we're going to get into the terminologies that relate to matter, the matter that is the stuff of our physicality. Uh, the first part, uh, the first two parts don't seem that physical, but they are responsible for the physical. That's the soul, which is uh, now through self-determined efforts uh, using uh, all available in order to create a personalized experience uh, according to our desire. So that is the soul. And then we have spirit, which is that anonymous energy that is defined by the soul. And that is flowing through us all the time, through our nervous system, through our meridians, and uh, in a myriad of ways uh, that are conveying these informational fields from those finer, subtle levels into our physiology. And then, of course, the third level of matter uh, that corresponds with the salt is the body. And now if you take these three principles of matter into the anatomical, the individualized soul, the sulfur, is exactly what, through what uh, Steiner and people like that, Goethe called metamorphosis, creates the torso and the torso, of course, is the container for our vital organs. And then if we just step over to the right again into the function of those organs, it's to create metabolism. Metabolism uh, it loosely defines all of the processes in the body that create energy so that we can animate our physiology and form. And then the spirit, which is that anonymous mercury, uh, that we, the soul uses, that is portrayed into the extremities. And if you think about it, the extremities, uh, what do they do? Well, they're freely moving. They hang off of the torso and they have a greater range of motion. And through them and through the exertion of the will force, if you want to get up, uh, you know, and off the couch and walk to the refrigerator, the extremities are then going to translate your desire, your will force into ambulation. And that is a direct translation of spirit. Uh, spirit is movement. And if you get into concepts of prana and chi, uh, chi as defined in Chinese medicine is what creates the movement of energy through the body. And then, of course, the body itself or the salt 
that is what is going to be most exemplified or translated into the physical tissues of the cranium and the nervous system. If you look at the cranium, it's the most fixed, impenetrable structure as a protective mechanism for the delicate neurological processes. And that cranium then is really going to, uh, you know, be symbolic of that solidification and also the uh, housing, the neurology that is through the 12 cranial nerves in that neurology is going to directly perceive or pick up the resonance from the 12 constellations in the sky clock that are going to further direct the activities of the cell uh, in conjunction with the inorganic elements that the cell uses within the bloodstream. And then that neurology, as we hit on a little bit, um, you did as, as a matter of fact, Michael, that this neurology, when it brings down that information through the cranium, uh, then that in turn brings life to the metabolism, but there is a death process uh, and that the neurology has to burn up neurotransmitters, uh, manufacture and dissipate at the same time neurotransmitters that convey those messages to make metabolism happen. But then metabolism, now that it is given life through neurology, even though neurology gives its all in the process, turns around and allows the next wave of neurological informational fields to uh, to come in and, you know, we can get into great analogies of yin and yang, uh, you know, yin being the metabolism, the yang being the neural neurology, the metabolism being the lunar element, the neurology being the solar element and so forth. So um, <clears throat> how are we doing? Oh, great. Yeah. I mean, it's literally how the engine of our body works, right? It's the um, death life cycle that's happening every fraction of a, of a instant. <laughs> Um, question, what about the generative system? How does that relate? Is that considered part of, I mean, and this all makes a lot of sense. Torso, soul, you know, related to the heart, especially as you, when you really think of what's in the torso organ wise, you have the heart, which, um, of course is sort of the, the window to the soul. Right. And then you have the lungs, which of course is the breath, which is the breathing in the soul. All that. What about the generative system? Um, the the um, uh, you know the nether regions, if you will. They, there's this concept of the alchemical wedding, right, where you have the golden juice coming from the top, from uh, the glands, the glands from your uh, neurology down through along the spine to uh, <clears throat> the generative system. The uh, and then back up for what, you know, classically has been <clears throat> called the alchemical wedding. And that is, of course, very esoteric. But the idea is that that is how we sort of reach the ascendant state by mastering that. How does that relate to these three anatomical functions here? Well, it's only esoteric when we uh, fail to understand that the original allegorical explanations not only being much more elegant and in-depth compared to mechanistic explanations, but uh, the 
journey through the sky clock, through the 12 constellations that follow the signs of the zodiac, is really the blueprint for rebuilding the temple as the original Masons uh, understood and what they were really about originally before they were infiltrated, which is why everybody says uh, Masonic teachings are bad. Uh, but, you know, everything was infiltrated. So uh, as we always say, too, let's, let's stop all this uh, broad stroking and understand what the original teachings were really about. Now, in that um, allegorical zodiac schematic, what we're really looking at is the embryological unfoldment of how the human body uh, gets put together one step at a time through a composite of resonance sequentially transmitted by the constellations. So it, of course, starts in spring, the time of renewal. We have Aries, and Aries, we... Uh, the ram is really a representation of the two horns of the optic thalamus with the uh, little spark that is carried through the third ventricle, the water medium between the pineal on the back and the pituitary in front. Then that original spark uh, allows the electrical transmission and reception. And uh, that then is carried down the brainstem into the uh representative sign of um, Taurus and Taurus um, uh, being the brainstem then takes that uh, electrical impulse down to the, the next level, which we could go through each one of them. But then we get into Gemini and Gemini um, creates all the branching structures in the body are neurology, the, the, the neurological branches, the um, branches of the, uh, the whole arterial and venous and lymphatic system. And uh, that is translated into the chemistry. Then it goes down to the, um, you know, that original essence that you're alluding to. That's all part of the process. Now that's picked up finally and housed in the next sign, which is cancer, which is portrayed by the crab. And what's the crab do? The crab has a hard shell and it carries its eggs on its abdomen to protect them. And in the case of the physical anatomy, the human anatomy, we're really talking about this energy that was understood in Chinese medicine called the triple warmer, where between uh, you know, respiration, nutrition that we get through uh, the digestive process and so forth. Uh, it's, a, it's a triple process that then carries the life force, uh, in this case, to the spleen, which then is going to be carried down to the next signs, which is Leo, the heart, you know, for circulation. And finally, um, you know, a couple after that, year after your sign, Virgo, and the, the next one, uh, uh, Libra, then you get to finally the Scorpio, which is going to be really the embodiment of the reproductive organs themselves. And so that now you have that final marriage where we can reproduce ourselves and replicate ourselves, uh, not just in new human forms, but on all levels of life. Libra so, being, yeah, when uh, we understand all that, that it, yeah. The more we understand what they were really saying, then the more you can prove it out through medicine. And um, it's important, again, to do the great work, 
Uh, I, for whatever reason, uh, chose a vocation of medicine. Well, I know the reason. Uh, it's kind of personal, but it's, you know, things I needed to learn. So uh, medicine was my initial laboratory that I proved out these processes. And uh, they work when you stay true to the way nature works. And, you know, same thing. We talk about the Spagyrics lab and everything else. So so we've gone from etheric to physiology. Uh, we have another little quote down there if you want to go over that one or not. Yeah, I was just saying in Libra, of course, the scales, right, which is the important judgment of how the great work's going for you and what your true intentions are and what you're truly doing um, as you become honest with yourself. And, yeah, it's all about the vocation that you choose in your life um, and how you be and how you act. So important. Um, Yeah, and as far as physiology, Libra uh, and the scales of justice, it's really about maintaining proper resistance levels in the fluids, which we commonly refer to as pH. So it's about holding that neutral balance. And in the science of ionization analysis, which I talk about, which is a laboratory procedure, uh, we use that whole line of resistance in order to create balance, uh, not these more shallow concepts that the pH of the saliva needs to be something and, uh, you know, the urine pH something else and the blood pH something else. No, it's about maintaining ideal balance uh, on our way to perfection and constantly, even though not being ideal or perfected, yet we constantly move in that direction. And Libra is the one... um, mechanism in the body that maintains that balance of the resistance or what we could also call the speed of electrical flow or pH. And uh, then we could talk about the cell salt involved, which is natrium phosphoricum and bring all sorts of things in. And when that's in short supply, then we get into a symptom that could be correlated to uh, pH disruptions And then that pH disruption is going to create a symptom that a brilliant doctor type is going to say you have this disease and you need to take something for it. And in fact, it's a deficiency, which is one of the categories we went over last time and touched at the beginning of this episode. Okay. Where are we at here? Whoops. Messed the slide there. I think we're back. So, um, Here's the quote. One has to understand that the medicine must be prepared in the stars and that the stars become the medicine. Okay, next slide. And that um, is really getting the point across that all creation, all health, all balance comes from the residence of the sky clock that then translates to the medium picked up by the inorganic elements in the bloodstream. And that resonance conveys into function and form, but it all starts in the stars. So when you're making plant or mineral medicine in your laboratory, you understand that's what you need to harness first, which is why in the alchemical arts, you have to appreciate that there are certain resonance that are prevalent at different times and depending on what you're trying to do or what your preparations are made from when you time it when that natural resonance is more predominant then you're going to um, accelerate your processes and intensify the potency of those 
uh, eventual remedies. Okay, so now we're translating. Remember, we um, where did we end up? Uh, we we're with uh, you know the the different levels of uh, anatomical differentiation based on the three principles, and uh, now we go from metabolism and neurology and so forth into the next holographic step down, which is the germ layer of our physical body. And again, we uh, have to default back to embryology in that there are three germ cell differentiations, uh, the endoderm, and this is kind of just loose because we can get more detailed, but you'll get the concepts across. Endoderm is that cell germ that differentiates into all the vital organs of the body that are typically under the control of the brainstem. And then the mesoderm, which would uh, coincide with uh, what we're talking about with the extremities in the slide before, uh, the endoderm with the anatomical portion, the torso and the organs, uh, the mesoderm, the extremities, and the musculoskeletal system. So the mesoderm makes all the musculoskeletal components as it embryologically unfolds. And then finally, the ectoderm, creates uh, the skin structures and all the neurological uh, structures and, and other things as well. And uh, that becomes important because, again, you see a translation of that same trinity into the actual tissues of the body. And then to make things more interesting, it's uh, very apparent in this work that certain stages of microorganism pleomorphism, that is, again, the mutation of innate organisms in our body changing to higher valence forms along those 16 phases in order to become maybe if the endoderm has a process going on that needs help uh, from the ecobionts or the little biological actors that you know act as scavengers, clean things up, regenerate tissues, they do a lot of things for us. Uh, the endoderm, when it has an active process in those related organs and tissues, then uh, there's a tendency for those life cycle forms of ecobinds to go into the fungus and mycobacterial phases because that's where they're most useful for um, facilitating active processes or what we would consider disease, but making sure that those processes that are actually designed to heal and not a disease at all go full circle, do their job, and it's uh, not possible unless there's a pleomorphic progression of the symbionts, uh, in this case, uh, that uh, evolved embryologically and in other levels of evolution with the endoderm tissues, and it goes a lot deeper than all this, as you might imagine, and uh, you know, then those phases of activity are forever paired with the endoterm and the maintenance of the perpetual renewal of those tissues in the body. We could go over one more step and even show how there's a symbiotic relationship with between certain inorganic element categories with the endoterm, the fungi, the mycobacteria, and that's your uh, natrium elements, your ferrous or your iron elements. Uh, drop down the mesoderm, again, which is the musculoskeletal tissues, 
the ecobiome set um, have evolved to facilitate the health of that tissue in the body uh, are the bacterial and mycobacterial forms. And then the ectoderm, you know, it's interesting, the ectoderm, which is, again, the neurology and skin tissues, when they are in need of uh, support on the biological level, it actually comes from the cell debris. Now, in the original enderline material, Gunther enderline, uh, we could say is a father of um, pleomorphic microscopy, you know, because he was first identifying how these uh, endobionts routinely travel through different mutational stages. Uh, another person, Gaston Nasons, which who we talk about too, who, you know, I've studied with him as well. Um, you know, he came up with the same understanding. Um, but they talk about, uh, especially when you get into the original German uh, pharmacies that create isopathic remedies that are the protein seed preparations from these different uh, innate organisms in our body, they talked about certain ones like penicillin frequentins, frequentins as an isopathic suited for viral conditions. Now, they weren't talking about virus the way the, uh, you know, Anthony folks are these days. They were talking about viral conditions within a whole different understanding. And again, I just add my understanding from my own experience. When the cell debris becomes of a certain titration uh, in, in which it's uh, from the cell debris conveying messages to the entire bioterrain so that all these mechanisms can come to the rescue of, uh, you know, certain tissues that need to be rebuilt or cleaned up or whatever, um, you know, then this, the cell debris uh, are really the instrumental, uh, not organisms per se, but the ones that trigger all these other things that also are activated in the endoderm and meso mesoderm tissue. And then we also have a predominance in the um, stages of development of the uh, pleomorphic organisms into kind of your potassium and magnesium uh, elements that have that symbiotic relationship because they have everything to do with nerves and, and so forth. And, and then also magnesium being very important for the heart, which is why it's paired with uh, Leo, which is also correlated with the heart. By the way, you mentioned heart a minute ago, and there's been some great presentations. Uh, Tom Cowan's done an amazing job as far as showing how the heart is really not a pump. Uh, to that, I would like to add, though, that the heart and like any other organ or tissue of the body is created by motion. So preempt or not, um, how should I say this? Before the heart tissue actually coalesces into the form of what we recognize as a heart, there is a distribution and manufacture of different um, vessels that then carry fluids and the motion of these fluids and other elements that are necessary for distribution throughout the body, the nature of that flow then turns around and dictates the form of the organ. So the heart 
not only is it not a pump, but it's not even created as an organ because that is its initial archetype. It is actually forming according to the needs of the body, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it is the, like I said, it's the um, doorway to the soul, right? So it's going right from you, the form, from the form plane. Yeah. And really the point to be taken is that energy creates matter. And even when the body is requiring a, a physical organ, which is in actuality a dual vortex that energetically uh, supports the propelling of these fluids through the body, um, it is created through the movement of energy first, which goes back to our very first slide, which is energy creates matter and matter is in some vesicle containing energy. It's just the end product. And of course we have a complete inversion where we're trying to think of things or figure things out or come by solutions in an actual backwards fashion. Yeah. I love that the dual vortex plasma generating machine, like functionality of the heart. And it's interesting. You mentioned magnesium, which makes me think of magnetics, which of course there's a lot of interplay between the heart and magnetic flow. So all all of that is really working together nicely. And I um, chose this quote here. I actually just made this one up, but um, I have it down there anyway. Simply put, nature is motion through transmutation. So what creates motion? Motion is created for the next creative step. So you have the motion, if you trace through those ethers, ether layers and through the etheric layers you have idea translating through those layers into eventual form and the actual traversing downward through those etheric layers is a motion that then eventually creates the form so it's the motion that's creating the form and uh alchemy is a demonstration of these principles Need to have uh, that Dr. Bear Lando under that quote. Okay, next slide. <laughs> so now we come to the alchemical process. And there are many ways to um, talk about this. We, uh, in some circles, they talk about 12 principles, four principles. Uh, four and three, seven, and, you know, and so forth. So let's just distill this down to its most basic, which is to separate, purify, and cohabitation, which is putting back together, uh, <clears throat> which we've talked a lot about making, say, plant medicine. First thing you do is you go through laboratory procedures where you separate the plants, uh, in this case, the principles, the mercury, the sulfur, and the salt of the plant, and then you purify all those three levels, and then you go ahead and put them back together. And that recombining in a purified form is going to more closely mimic what nature had really intended in the first place. And the only time we have illness 
is when we deviate from those natural patterns. So all you're doing with your plant medicine medicine is to um, really getting back to those pure game plans. And in the case of treating the human body in uh, what we would think of as a medical practice, you do the same exact thing. So separation, uh, you're going to isolate the three states of matter, the three generative qualities, and the three principles. And three states of matter being, as we've already discussed, spirit, soul, and body, generative qualities. Uh, we, you know, just loosely in alchemical terms, we'll call them wet, hot, and dry. But you know, when you get down to the ground matrix, you're talking about the generative um, elements that are produced from those qualities, and that is living cells, eco-bions, elements, and so forth. And then the three principles are the mercury, soul, and salt. And with that understanding, uh, from a uh, perspective of anthroposophy, you can even look at a body, the three components that are the translation of the mercury, soul, and salt, the musculoskeletal, vital organs, and nervous system. And by just simple observation, you can tell where uh, imbalances are at an immediate glance, but then go back to the symptoms because people usually come to people like me with symptoms, but I can look at those symptoms now in a cohesive uh, whole and understand what step of the whole creative continuum or regenerative continuum things are stuck and intervene on those levels with real grounded um, precise medicine and intervention that does not have anything to do with a doctor thinking that he can somehow outsmart the creator. Uh, you know, early on in my career, I came to the inescapable collusion, conclusion that there was no body I could possibly outsmart. So instead of trying to do that and uh, then come up with treatments to boot that would actually override what the body wants to do in the first place, which is going to make it even sicker, I decided it would be more intelligent to try to figure out how to communicate with the body. And um, then, of course, when you go through all these channels to uh, help the body deal with the aberrations that have happened at any one of those uh, precipitating steps uh, relative to the maintenance of their physical body, then after uh, a lot of good work, we can have a purified whole uh, that is put together more according to its original design, according to uh, universal patterns, and medicine is about the realignment with those universal patterns for renewal and expansion and not uh, expansion of body tissues so much. Here we're uh, talking about the expansion of consciousness, which will allow us to get rid of the notion that there's a need for doctors in the first place. And what I told every single client I ever saw in all my years is that you don't need me and my job is to convince you of that. So, um, next slide, I guess. I was just going to say what I love about this, the practice of this, like, for instance, if you're doing spagyrics, which is a very um, obvious example of this practice with using herbs, 
uh, is that it's like a microcosm of that macrocosm of the great work we were discussing earlier, right? In the act of doing this, <clears throat> it's that as above, so below concept where you are going through in just this one little process, uh, an example of the great process. And it's, so it's cool because it works on all levels. It's, it's, that's what I love about the science is that it can be as big as you need it and as little as you need it. And then, of course, you can apply this uh, in your internal spiritual alchemy, of course. Agreed. Four phases. So <clears throat> this, uh, I have some slides after this, which I'll be, I'll, I'll explain those in uh, a couple moments uh, as far as why I included those, because they're actually from the last episode that we did. But I thought it'd be important to include them here. Um, actually, Michael, you inspired me to do this one because uh, you uh, made a comment last, you know, whoever we were interviewing, that someday we needed to do a whole presentation on the seven rays. So I just gave a little uh, teaser here as far as where the seven rays fit into alchemy. And for some reason, I have not found anybody in the alchem alchemical community, uh, Alder, if you're out there, uh, either from past ages or, or present time that integrates the understanding of the seven rays into the alchemical process. Now, if you understand the seven rays, they are seven qualities. Each of these qualities comes to us by way of, uh, you know, in alchemical terms, we call it the seven sacred planets, but behind those are actual living, intelligent beings responsible for the creation of this realm in the first place. And even in the Bible, they talk about the, the seven that sit upon the seven thrones or something like that. And, but there's constant uh, reference. And, but the point is, is, whatever your belief system is or from whatever perspective you come from, we have to understand that those are qualities and they can be best defined by the seven ray qualities. And the seven rays can be divided into the three principal rays. And let's see, what did I write? God, was, I did this late last night. Um, the kingdom of man is a composite of the ray qualities inherent in the mineral, plant, and animal kingdoms, but uniquely imbued with the three principal rays for the possibility of individualization. Okay, so let's look at ray one, uh, two, and three. Ray one, you could think of as the father, you know, father, son, holy ghost, all that kind of stuff that you and I learned in catechism. Uh, ray one is uh, the will force. It's it's the it's the Godhead that is, or or in the the case of us co-creators, it is our individualized will force that is behind the whole ability to self-determine in the first place. Now that will force has to be imbued, um, or let's just say, um, gives birth to the Son. So we have the Father and the Son, and the Son. Uh, which was best exemplified by um, the Nazarene, we'll say. Uh, it's the ray of love wisdom. So 
pure love, unconditional, and wisdom, which is what we are here to gain through the whole journey. What are the colors? And that is uh, Barry. What are the colors again? There are different colors attributed depending who you read. Um, I have my own preference, and my preference is based on what I have learned through my practices and what we'll loosely call the green books from the St. Germain uh, Foundation, which were the original next phase of uh, theosophy, anthroposophy, uh, although been distorted much since. Uh, but it's the original knowledge that was kept alive for centuries. And in that, you learn that in your forehead, in your forebrain, there is a sevenfold flame that, again, through holographic representation, is alive and well in that brain structure in order to allow the brain structure to exist and be the transmitter receiver that it is in the first place. So if you were to just go straight vertical up into that sevenfold flame, you would have a pure white flame, which would be attributed to the being Cyclopia, which is portrayed by the single eye. And there's a whole reason for that allegory. And it's not just the all-seeing eye of the Illuminati. Again, they just steal these concepts and then invert them because that's all they can do. They aren't creative. They don't know how to do that. And if you go to the left, um, you have a Cassiopeia, which is a golden color. And each one of these attributes has special meaning. You go over to the right of center, you have um, Orion, which is green, which would coincide with uh, science, uh, you know, in the terms of quality. Um, the Then you go down back to the left and you're going to be in a hue of pink, which is the god of peace uh, over, uh, you know, next up down on the right, you have the the turquoise, uh, which stands for purity. And then the two bottom ones that fan out on each side are uh, Arcturus, which is the violet, which coincides with the seventh ray, which is uh, what St. Germain is the Lord uh, of the seventh ray for this incoming civilization. And then to the right on the other side is the ray of Hercules, which is a deep sapphire blue, which is pure power. Now, when you know how to uh, do the seven ray meditation, you would be amazed at how your brain structure just lights up. It's like somebody's literally inflating a beach ball inside your head and you feel this immense, not pressure in a bad way, but just this presence uh, and with the ability to see each one of these colors firsthand. So, uh, you know, take it with a grain of salt. That's just my experience. And um, so those are the three rays. And the three rays are only active in the kingdom of man. 
And that means that man out of the four kingdoms, which is the uh, mineral, plant, uh, and animal kingdom prior, they are each comprised of different rays. And that's a fascinating story that we do a whole presentation on and how the human kingdom is really incorporation of all those qualities that make up all the kingdoms, but we're the only kingdom that has the three rays of principle which uh, again correlates to mercury, sulfur, and body of the old alchemical tradition, which means, guess what? You can think up of stuff, you can intend stuff, you can have passion behind doing things, and you can be a creator. And through that, go through the process of individualization, which is only possible in the kingdom of man. Now, to correlate that finally, and we'll finish up, we have four phases which uh, is talked about in alchemical circles and uh, head flux in our last interview, which was a great talk. I love that guy. Um, he, uh, you know, uh, introduced the traditional four categories, we'll say, of alchemical operation, which has to do with uh, uh, different Latin names uh, that stand for different colors, black, white, yellow, red, which don't have anything to do with the colors we were just mentioning with the seven rays. It's an alchemical allegory, which is why, uh, you know, they pertain or they uh, designate these colors to each of those layers. But uh, these phases really describe the process of, number one, separation, purifying, and cohabitation, which is uh, putting together all the purified parts into an elevated, self-conscious, individualized whole. That is what the journey of the soul is all about. And um, what you got here? Okay, I'll just finish this and then you can show that chart. Um, So the quality... uh, according to each of these phases and colors uh, with the first phase is dissolution. So if I'm in my chemical lab and I've, you know, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to calcinate, you know, I'm going to dissolve if, if it's uh, that's, if it's dry matter, if, if I want to dissolve wet matter, I'm going to do a process of putrefaction. But the whole idea is just to break down and the human experience is breaking down the ego and old outdated concepts that are holding us back. And then we bring in the next phase, which is the moon. It's the, it's more the feminine and it's about starting to bring some light in a muted way into that darkness, uh, you know, that we have just delved into as far as the dissolution or the dark night of the soul. And then we have the next step down, which is a solar, the masculine and the masculine, uh, you know, uh, correlated with color yellow. This then also uh, is left out of a lot of alchemical text uh, where they only uh, use three of the elements, but the solar is important and it was left out because it brings into this whole thing that you brought up, Michael, which is, um, the completion of the uh, the whole alchemical circle, the alchemical marriage, you know, between these two steps, between the moon and the solar. So we can talk about the solar masculine, but it's really a completion, you know, uh, with that next element, which is the water element. If we go back to the beginning and then the red in the uh, alchemical world is about completion. It's about the philosopher's stone. You have learned how to 
do all of these processes to the point where now you have a medicine that is capable of rejuvenating uh, in your entire body. And then the attributes uh, that correlate with the phases of alchemy, if we want to go into the ray qualities, uh, the first one of dissolution correlates with the fourth ray, which is harmony through conflict. It's about taking all of the traumas and the conflicts and the dichotomies that we experience in the in our journey through the polarities and we somehow find harmony through that and that's what that dark night of the soul is all about and then we go to the next one the the lunar or the white phase which is the fifth phase which is uh the ray of concrete knowledge which we talk about in the seven ray principles uh so that's about uh, you know, through that harmony, through conflict, now you have knowledge. And now the solar is, you know, also correlates with the heart, which is that heart connection. And through that, we uh, develop a um, a desire to unite with the divine, we'll say. And we can loosely call that devotion, which is what the sixth ray in the seven ray uh, schematic is all about. And then finally, uh, the red is about the seventh ray, which is the ray of transmutation. It's the ray of violet. And that's the one that is uh, most operative under the direction of St. Germain at this time, as mankind is now waking up and entering into the final golden age. Um, I love that the final one, uh, of course, red with transmutation and then we have you know the the red lion concept yeah saying you know the elixir of life uh it makes sense why they call it that uh i won't bring that chart up now i know we got to keep going but yeah we'll do another podcast at AlphaCast specifically on the seven rays it is interesting i noticed on this chart though on the sixth ray which they relate to the day thursday and um the hawaiian islands peace and aloha uh, in terms of the retreat center, the nodal uh, center uh, on the uh, in the known uh, terrain of the realm, so uh, devotion in the so line. You're, so so I didn't I didn't catch that um, connection with Hawaii. What's that about? Oh, so I'm looking at a chart of seven rays of the individualized God self, and part of that they are relating each ray to the Elohim retreat centers. In a way, or, and so you've got the first ray would be uh, actually California, uh, and then uh, they relate oh, right. Tuesday, and then uh, second ray Germany, uh, third ray Canada, fourth ray Russia, uh, for um, the fifth ray China. Interesting, and the sixth, which is probably you know, of course, you're looking at um, uh, Tibet, um, and then uh, the sixth ray the Hawaiian Islands. And then the seventh ray, Angola, Africa. Interesting. Yeah. A little deeper in this, these kind of charts. Yeah, I mean, uh, those, so are, those are interesting to see which yeah. ray qualities are prevalent, uh, you know, in every continent and country. And yeah. And, and each of us have a particular unique ray makeup. And that ray makeup is starts with above our head, the, what we call the monad. And then we have the soul, uh, which is a conglomeration of the three principles and each of those three principles have a different rate quality um, 
And then that in turn uh, connotes uh, a collective rate quality for the soul, which is a composite of those other three. And then the body has, uh, you know, anyway. So uh, we've talked about that a little bit here. We're in past times where we've uh, talked about making rate charts and things. I used to be involved with that with clients because I just found it very enlightening and, and helpful in a practical way. Uh, you know, I had, a, as you know, a, a long stretch of my life in the Hawaiian Islands and a good buddy of mine who comes from a long line of kahunas. Um, he helped me understand that the original language that we would think of as Hebrew, and we, we've mentioned this before, but it's appropriate here. The Hebrew language is actually an offshoot of a much earlier languages, uh, uh, language that was used in a different time and that the Hawaiian original language was very closely aligned with Hebrew because of its sharing of the common linguistic roots. And <clears throat> they also talked about in the Hawaiian tradition, the Elohim, and the Elohim were understood very much in alignment with these qualities we're talking about with the seven rays and nothing to do with these flesh-eating giants that <laughs> certain Christian sects are out there saying, you know, what the Elohim are and all this kind of bullshit. So um sorry to step on toes, but I did it on purpose because it's kind of dumb and it just keeps us stupid. So... um <laughs> If you want to go to the next slide. I, I, you know what I've noticed, too, is I've been working with a client who is Finnish, and uh, the the language there in Finland is also some Nordic. Similar. Yeah, the Nordic languages, you know, so we're talking about the diaspora from the Great Flood, right, from Atlantis. Yep. Hey. Now, we don't have to go through these, uh, but... Uh, this will take less than a minute. These cells, I mean, these slides we had from our last presentation, and I just included them here in the event, uh, Mike, that you include them in the show notes or in our member section, or whatever, because I just thought it might be handy for at the end of this for people that didn't see the first uh, presentation. They can go through the different categories in a little bit more of an elaboration that explain uh, why disease, as we think of it, in terms of symptoms, occurs and why it has nothing to do with a disease entity or a pathogen or some spontaneous um, movement towards entropy, which is the whole model of scientism, uh, you know, where things expand to a certain point and then everything dies, uh, just in case people are skeptical about the fact that we live in an actual death cult. So this firm one form and function uh, relates to how deficiencies are really probably the number one cause of all of our ills. And uh, we give some examples in there and, and, you know, I'd encourage people to look on this slide. If you could move to the next one.
We talk about the biome, and this expands on our earlier concepts today about pleomorphism, indigenous organisms in our body, how they go through 16 predictable mutational stages. Each one of those stage stages reflects the health of the ecosystem. For instance, if I look at somebody's blood and I immediately see fungal forms uh, or bacterial forms or uh, the first three stages of just the seed forms uh, starting to take on more of a three-dimensional uh, you know, form and shape and understanding why they're doing that, what function they have and what uh, function uh, fungal or bacterial form would have, what it would tell me that the body's trying to do in the first place. It would also tell me which organisms are active uh, and, and why they're active, what they're trying to do. It would also tell me um, the levels of tissues involved, uh, which is uh, going to be very, very helpful. And then as a physician, I can go in and interject into that transmutational chain and go in either direction, either progress up through that chain into greater differentiation or retrograde um, regress into, uh, you know, the more sim simpler seed forms. And there's reasons why you would want to do either one. And that's where the knowledge of biotrain medicine and also the use of isopathic remedies of these organisms that live inside of us are extremely not just useful, but miraculous in their effects and also explains why the uh, Food and Death Administration has uh, largely outlawed them in the uh, U.S. Inc. here. Indeed. So essentially what you're saying is this allows you to sort of go downstream quickly and remediate the process without having to, you know, as a, in terms of working with nature, not attacking it, not, we're not at war with it. Uh, but, yeah. then also, but then also understanding that there is upstream causes of this too, that are yeah. at the soul level that are really what need to be tackled, which I think we're going to be moving into in the next slide or something, but, but this yeah. is and just thing. to keep, and just keep it on a level of physiology, you can upgrade, uh, upregulate or downregulate. So let's just yeah. say you have a staph infection. We'll just keep using that example, and it won't go away. Well, that means you have a hanging conflict. Um, you know, we could talk about it from different perspectives, but just physical. Uh, for some reason, those bacterial forms that have progressed into the coccyx form and, you know, what's uh, – then cultured and diagnosed as a staphylococcus infection. Well, if they're hanging out and just creating unsightly conditions on an area of your body and won't go away, it's because there's other elements in the bioterrain that are lacking. And so that's going to give you a clue as far as how to go elsewhere and to make sure that all the resources are available so that that bacterial form can do its job, go away, and then not have to be a nuisance forever. 
And in the case of uh, where you're taking care of other elements in the bioterrain, then you would, of course, give the isopathic, uh, that is the seed form of that staphylococcus organism, so-called, and it would downregulate it into the seed forms because you're basically saying, hey, good job, guys, you're done. Now go away. We've got the problem handled as far as why you were having to hang out there and overstay your welcome in the first place. And then the isopathics in that uh, lower valence form are going to um, downregulate the larger bacterial or fungal forms and have them regress down into troops in waiting for when they're necessary again. Or maybe that staph infection isn't going away because there weren't enough of the troops in waiting. In other words, the seed forms of that particular uh, cyclogeny so that now the isopathic is going to um, plant those seeds in the bloodstream that then can pleomorphically go to the scene of the crime and help the thing resolve. So you've got all these different ways of looking at it and uh, a good doctor type is going to be able to think on his feet and figure all those things out. And um, see what else we got. I and think yeah, we like, beat that I, to death. I would yeah. say in the modern times, I think a lot of people are, their seed forms have been depleted in many ways through all the toxicity and diet and all that. So um, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, they're also like to go back to our example of staff, of staff quote unquote infection. Like when I had uh, that dog bite, when a dog came up at farmer's market and bit my hand, um, remember we used ozone injection for that. Um, All right. And, and I think it wasn't going away because I did have a hanging conflict and how I dealt with that and the trauma of the dog and the people who brought the dog and all that. It's interesting when you start to take it from a you know, German medicine perspective. Um, but ozone is another great, we've talked about it a bunch, right? But another great uh, modality, right? In terms of yep. um, downregulating. So, can you explain that again? Yeah. So, what happens when the bioterrain starts being compromised due to one of these categories, the biome, the deficiencies, the categories of disease, you, you name it, that is going to create consequences in overall physiology, which is the transmission and uptake of oxygen. And remember, oxygen is that Con transmitting conduit level of the etheric medium. It's the water element. And you need oxygen in order to um, transmit information, nutrients, uh, provide the medium, uh, you know, for metabolism to properly take place because in the absence, you're going to have fermentation. And that fermentation, uh, as any alchemist knows, is the first step of uh, negredo, which is yeah. a dark night of the soul, and dissolution, breakdown, decay. It's literally like, um, you know, decomposing the body while you're still trying yeah. to use the darn I thing mean, in the first place. Yeah, think yeah, of it. It's so decomposing also. into the spirit. 
alcohol, right? Yeah, <laughs> or if you have these organisms that are stuck in these hanging phases and they're recycling your body and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I still might want to use this thing, uh, but it accelerates the breakdown and aging, not because that's your design, it's because the bioterrain needs support on many different levels. And then hydrogen, uh, which is equally as important and why we talk about aquacure and breathing hydrogen or Brown's gas is because that is the fire medium. That is the original impetus to the electrical event that sparks the creative precipitation through the ethers in the first place. And when the biotrain goes south, not only do you have a deficiency of oxygen for a whole bunch of reasons, but also a deficiency of hydrogen. And then what happens, the sequelae to those two events, is you have a dampening in the production of ATP, which is the engine gasoline for the cell. So if you're not manufacturing energy, ATP, then the machinery of the cell can't work. It's short of oxygen. Now you're going through fermentation, hydrogen. There's no way to uh, you know, initiate that whole renewal process, which is what the, our overall realm and the realm of our physicality, our body is about in the first place. So you know, we're talking about these different things that can go wrong uh, relative to the bioterrain, but then bottom line, it all translates into no oxygen, no hydrogen, no energy. And that's why when I would take in a new client that had the big diagnosis, uh, the first thing I do simultaneously to developing the protocols customized to their needs is I'd start repolarizing, reoxygenating, and doing the hydrogen. We had different ways of doing hydrogen back then before the, you know, we had the great technologies that are available today. So um, what's next here? You're down with ATP? Yeah, you know me. Okay. <laughs> Okay, and then we talked about the six stages of disease, and this is what comes from the outside. Say you're breathing crap that they're spraying in the air, and uh, if you're pretty healthy, your body's just going to upchuck it. You know, you're going to barf, you're going to have the runs, your, you know, sweat pores are going to be pouring this stuff out. Uh, you know, you're going to get rid of it. You're going to go back to normal, even though a doctor says, oh, you have the flu. Uh, no, you're just composting and, and cleaning the body up. And it's an alchemical process if you understand how the body, um, under the direction of everything we've talked about so far, uh, just gets rid of what it doesn't need. And then it stays in a certain phase. We'll call it the humoral phase. You know, if you breathe something in that's noxious, it stays in the bloodstream. It's not good. It's going to make you sick and feel bad and necessitate uh, some kind of upchuck mechanism. But if you're overwhelmed or if you're not that healthy enough to have uh, 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 that kind of reaction, then it's going to be depos uh, de um, deposited into the actual tissues of the body. We'll go through this real quick because we did it last time. Uh, stuff can actually become pigmented into the body. Now you have, um, depending on the, and there's a whole chart we can make available for this, yeah, depending where those things are deposited and how long they've been deposited, uh, then it's going to explain why somebody has MS. 
and you're going to understand it according to the six levels or stages of disease, which was also understood but in Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine, although they use different terminologies, they uh, explain the same exact progression that the German medical doctors, Dr. Heinrich Reckwig, uh, came up with his six phases of disease. And then finally, if uh, you don't clean out the depositions in the actual ground tissue itself, then you have cellular changes and uh, all sorts of bad things start happening. But when you look at these phases and somebody comes to you with a diagnosis, you simply understand, oh, this tissue is involved, it's in this phase, and so I have to now retrograde, take the body in the next direction, and I know how to do it because I know how the body works. I know the principles of transmutation. And if uh, it's no, in fact, it's easier to go in the opposite direction than it is to go in the uh, wrong direction. And people would often come to me with these issues and, and say, how'd this happen to me and everything? But uh, I would simply say, well, you've been working on this for a long, long time, and your body has kept you out of the woods for as long as it could in the best possible way. But now it's just saying, no, you got to take care of business. You can't kick the can down the road anymore or make believe that you can get away with whatever you're doing in the first place. Love it. It's logical and very calm approach to what I think allopathic system could see as um, total, you know, I mean, they put it way out of in the left field with no concept of how to tackle these issues. Right. So it's just like all trauma and all crisis, right. Everything's a freaking crisis. Yeah. And here's there. No, this is a process, yeah. not a crisis. <laughs> And, you know, just uh, my normal disclaimer, since I used to work in emergency services, uh, obviously a time and a place. However, um, and, and that, of course, is what is showcased for the efficacy or to validate the efficacy of allopathic medicine. And uh, they're right on in that example. Yes. But the fact is, is crisis intervention or emergency uh, true urgent situations are very small in number compared to people suffering from chronic degenerative changes, which are all related to what we're doing. So medicine leads with their heroic uh, life-saving persona and uses the same uh, crisis intervention mindset just trying to get the bioterrain back so that it doesn't have to talk to you with symptoms anymore. And because it doesn't understand these principles, then what they'll do is create noxious chemicals that create the opposite symptoms from the one you think you don't want or the one you equate with sickness. And then that, of course, necessitates your body moving further down that six stages of disease to where really nasty shit happens. Yeah. I mean, great point. Obviously as a volunteer firefighter, I'm not denouncing all of the crisis mitigation when you're at a on scene uh, and people are bleeding out 
that's in broken limbs and everything. That's where modern allopathy or the modern Western medical paradigm is fantastic at. But as you said, we're talking about. But Disney you know Disney. what? Um, if you go back a few thousand years, the real practitioners, say within Chinese medicine, they knew how to set bones. Mm -hmm. And they actually did surgical things. And then they also knew how to do surgical things without opening the skin up. Uh, I trained a long time in osteopathic medicine with some brilliant people uh, from Europe. And we could alter tissues within individual organs with our hands without going into body cavities. And it first started with developing the knack to ascertain the movement of every organ because every organ, like every tissue, embryologically unfolds in a certain fashion. And then that direction of unfoldment, just like we're explaining how the heart unfolds because it's following function, um, then with your hands, you can put your hand on the liver or the pancreas. And not only can you feel it, but you can feel if the proper motion is happening. And with um, the same techniques, you can restore that motion, which uh, also then restores the natural internal pathways where energy is conducted through those organs. And each one has a unique signature pathway. And uh, Dr. Cream and biogeometry uh, very astutely was able to understand this and actually draw out the biosignatures, which are like the meridian pathways for the body, only unique to the internal um, uh, flow of each organ. So when you just with osteopathic technique, you can start restoring those normal patterns, work on it from all the other angles that we've done, and you find that the tissue changes that doctors thought maybe required, you know, uh, yanking out half your intestines or something uh, could actually be put right by a combination of all these techniques. I kind of believe that's possible because I just saw it happen thousands of times. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, okay, next slide. And we're about done. Um, I'm staying, uh, staying on these a little longer than I anticipated, so let's just finish it up. Line go. of resistance, we yeah, already we talked got. about this. Uh, you know, it's about looking at this, that electrical bottom line and then mathematically being able to figure out how to put the electricity right uh, with simple clinical techniques and then using that not only to um, create balance but also to monitor how all of your other things are doing because if you're succeeding in all the other ways that we've discussed, it's going to show up in that line of resistance, which is going to improve. And again, to repeat, bottom line, we are electrical first. Okay, next. Miasm, uh, this we're going to get into the levels of what we're just think of, of emotions and things, Caesar. Just right now, just call collective karma, you know, energy uh, patterns that were aberrant and developed by entire civilizations and then remain in the 
in the uh, human memory bank and come back to haunt us, uh, but not really. It's an opportunity to get things right, not within our own individual worlds, but to help free our ancestors that came before. Amazing. Yeah, we went deep into that in the first uh, episode of uh, the first uh, End of Medical Mythology, part one. And then the final slides here, we're talking about emotions that just come in, uh, you know, as an individualized product of uh, past experience, uh, whatever that means to you, uh, conflicts or stress patternings that we uh, acquire just going through our life experience and so forth. And um, and then we talk about how uh, these, uh, how biology, this is the realm of new German medicine, uh, which is an important component to understand and how conflicts in the psyche then holographically are uh, expressed through conditions of the body uh, in order to relieve the pressure on the psyche, which is then going to assure that we do not get stuck in our major purpose, which is expansion of consciousness and then, of course, the design of biologically expressing also has built into it a mechanism where it goes full circle so you don't have to live with some growth in your body forevermore or that's going to actually become lethal and take you out. Yeah, and I, I, and I love the fact that what you say, human biology as a vehicle for rapid soul expansion, it's a back and forth. It's not just the end effect of the soul, but it actually has a function, right? It's a um, just as important. The salt, in other words, is just as important as the sulfur and the mercury. And which brings us back to complete full circle with what the alchemist said, what Walter Russell said, which is there's only one thing. And through our consciousness, we can create motion which creates appearance in the world of form, but none of it exists outside of our own self-created simulation within the larger creation of the seven LOM. Mm -hmm. 